Good morning. Welcome to NCC Online. We're so glad that you guys have tuned in, and hopefully you just had a great time in worship, and now we're going to have a great time in the Word. And just before that, I want to give just a few announcements. First of all, I want you to know that, that these little broadcasts, they've been going all over the world. It's, it's, it's been amazing to see how people from other cities and other states and even other nations have been watching the live broadcast or the replay. We had somebody a couple of weeks ago from northern Canada say hello. And if you're in northern Canada right now and you're joining us again, we want to say hello back. Hopefully you're staying warm. It's already getting warm down here in Texas. But uh, if this is the first time that you've ever joined us, the first time that you've ever tuned in to see one of NCC's online broadcasts and you've never been here when we were doing a live church, we would love the opportunity to connect with you. If you would do just one thing for us, if you would text NCC guest to 97,000, you're going to get a prompt back. It'll ask you just a few questions and it'll give us just enough information that we can reach out and we can connect with you. But one thing you're going to get tomorrow morning is a text that asks, how can we pray for you? Whether we ever meet you in person or not, we would love the opportunity to pray for you. So if you'll text NCC guest to 97,000, we would love to make that connection. And lastly, thank you, church. Thank you so much for being faithful with your tithes and your offerings. It's amazing how I look around uh, the nation and I see so many churches, their giving has just really tanked. But that's not the way it is here at NCC. Yeah, we're down some, but we understand why. Some of you have had your hours cut back. Some of you have been laid off, so there's just not as much to give. But I want you to know that during this time, NCC has upped our giving. We have some wonderful relationships with some missionaries around the world, most of them in very poor nations. And they're on the front lines, making sure people are fed, making sure people are taken care of. But unfortunately, their support has dried up some because the other churches, they don't have people like you being faithful with your giving. So we've decided to make a, a sizable gift to our missionaries this month. And the reason that we can do that is because you guys have been faithful. So continue to do that. All right, let's go ahead and get into the lesson. In 1945, 27-year-old Mary Kathleen Ash, a mother of three, found herself recently divorced and in need of a job. Now, she was a, a natural-born salesperson, so it didn't take long before she, she found a job, and she really did well. She thrived at it. In fact, she did so well that another company came along and they hired her away. Now, after she had been with this, this new company for about 10 years, they had had her um, training all of their sales staff, and she was watching time and time again how people that she had trained, especially men she had trained, were getting promotions instead of her. And it was really aggravating to her. The year was now 1963, and three big things happened to Mary that year. First, she got remarried. Second, she and her new husband decided it was time for her to leave her job, and they were going to start a business together. And third, 
Unfortunately, her new husband died of a heart attack. So now Mary is uh, without a husband, without a job, and without a business partner. And nobody would have blamed her. It would have been easy just to, to, to give up and, and walk away from those dreams, give up on, the, on those business ideas that she had. But she decided that it wasn't over yet. She decided that, that the, the time for her to press on into these things was right now. So with a $5,000 investment from her eldest son and the help of her youngest son, she started her business. Now, um, it would have been just tragic. It would have been tragic if she'd have given up on her dream. Because last year, the company that she started made $3.6 billion in revenue. The company is called Mary Kay Cosmetics. Now, life throws us curveballs all the time. Life can, can seem so unpredictable so uncertain at times. But we need to know that when those times come, it's not over yet. We're in a lesson series called Great News. There's so much bad news going on right now. You know, every, every time you, you, you turn on the news or every time that you, you, you pull up the internet, we're, we're seeing the tragedy of the, the coronavirus. We're seeing how many people have been affected hundreds of thousands here in our nation and millions around the world, and how many thousands of people have died from this terrible virus. So we decided that, that since there's so much bad news going on right now, we just wanted to take some time and talk about some good news. In fact, some great news. And the great news that I want you to know this morning is, no matter how bad the economy looks, no matter how bad it, it feels and seems, it's not over yet. And there are three people that I want us to look at this morning, three people's lives, and their lives were not perfect. But God said, it's not over yet. So the first person we're going to look at is Anna. Anna, the graceful, widowed warrior. In Luke, Two, Mary and Joseph have brought Jesus just as a baby, eight days old. They've brought Jesus to the temple to be dedicated. And Anna was there at the temple. And this is where the scripture picks up. Luke 2.36, Anna, a prophet who was also there in the temple. She was the daughter of Phanuel from the tribe of Asher. And she was very old. Her husband died when they had been married only seven years. Then she lived as a widow to the age of 84. Anna's husband had died after they'd only been married seven years. And during this time, uh, girls were married off very, very young. She was probably 14, 15, maybe 16 years old when she got married. So when she was widowed, she was in her early 20s, and now she's lived all these years just serving the Lord. And here's the thing. 
Husbands at the time, they were the providers. They were the protectors. Legally, she could not have inherited any of her husband's property. She could not have taken over his business if he had a business. And if she didn't have family to take her in, she could have been forced to beg and even worse, maybe turned to prostitution just to, to take care of herself. Now, the Bible doesn't say whether she had any kids or not. If, if they did have children, uh, they would have been very young when their, when their dad died. But here she is in her early 20s, absolutely alone. And what does she do? She could have... Uh, she could have just shrank back in fear. She could have hidden. But in fact, the Lord said it's not over yet. In Luke 2.37, the second part of the verse there, it says, she never left the temple, but stayed there day and night, worshiping God with fasting and with prayer. Anna's name means God's grace. And how did God grace her? Well, first... He anointed her to be a prophet. So if there's anybody out there and uh, you're unfortunately thinking that, that, that women can't be anointed to be in the ministry, you're either going to have to take your Bible and scratch this part out or you're going to have to believe it the way that it's written. Anna was anointed to be a prophet. God had, had graced her to be a prophet. He had called her into a life of ministry. Listen to this again. From the time that she was a widow, it says that she never left the temple but stayed there day and night worshiping God with fasting and prayer. Here's another thing that God obviously graced her on. He provided for her. If she never left the temple, who was taking care of her? Who was making sure that she was fed? Who was making sure that she was clothed? God was having to be her provider. And best of all, she was graced to be one of the first to share the great news about Jesus. Luke 2.38, there again in the second part of the verse, it says, she talked about the child to everyone who had been waiting expectantly for God to rescue Jerusalem. In this 60-something years that she's been in the temple, she's begun to know the people that were expectantly waiting on the Savior, waiting on the Messiah. And the moment that, that Mary and, and Joseph brought Jesus into the temple, it says that she began to talk to everyone of, who had been waiting on the Messiah. She began to preach Jesus. Now, God glories in pouring his grace into difficult situations. Where we may feel weak, he shows himself strong. 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9, there's a, a portion here where, where Paul is recounting a conversation that he had with the Lord. And the Lord speaking to Paul, uh, the scripture says, and he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. And that word sufficient, uh, the Greek connotation of that word sufficient is it's enough to satisfy. So my grace is enough to satisfy whatever you need satisfied. It can also mean it's strong and powerful to, def to defend. 
strong and powerful to defend. So my grace is enough to satisfy you, and it's strong and powerful to defend you, for power is perfected in weakness. So when we're feeling weak, that's when God is showing himself strong. And Paul goes on to say, most gladly, therefore, I would rather boast about my weakness so the power of Christ may dwell in me. In the year 2000, uh, I went to England for the first time. Now, this was in the time of my, uh, we'll call it church sabbatical. Lisa and I had been hurt in ministry, and we took about five years off from church, and this is right in the middle of that time. But a, a preacher friend of mine was going to England, and he invited me to go along, and, and he talked some other people into paying for it. So I decided I would just go along with him. And as we got there, the church that we were going to be doing ministry in, they put us up in people's houses. And I got to stay with Matilda a little lady who was in her late 60s who had been widowed in her mid-30s. And she told me that when her husband died, that she spoke to the Lord and she said, I don't want to get married again, so you're just going to have to take care of me. You're going to have to be my provider. You're going to have to be my husband. And for 40 years, she had lived that way. She had lived by faith. She had never gone out and gotten a job. She had just lived by faith because this was what the Lord had laid on her heart. And what she did day and night was very much like Anna. She prayed and she ministered to people. I spent three days with her. And during those three days, she, she took at least two or three hours each day to preach to me, to prophesy over me, to pray over me. And when she would get finished, she would walk over to this little keyboard that she had and she would just start pray, uh, playing and she would start worshiping. And she looked at me, she said, I didn't even know how to play. I just told the Lord I wanted to learn how to play. And he taught me how to play so I could do worship. She was an Anna and I needed it. The Lord was pouring into her and she was pouring into people. And that's the way that it should be. As God pours his grace into us, we need to pour into other people. We need to be like Anna. Now, the next person that I, I want to take a look at his life is Daniel. Daniel was judged in a lion's den. A little background history here is when, when uh, Daniel was a, a young teenage boy, Israel was conquered. And they took the people of Israel, the people of Judah, and they took them into captivity. They moved them into other nations. And Daniel was taken out of the land of Israel, the promised land that God had, had given them. He was taken out of, of Judah and taken to a, a land of captivity. But he was singled out as somebody that could serve the king. And he did so very, very faithfully. Even in the midst of captivity, he was faithful. I mean, he was basically a slave. He was taken from his homeland, and he was forced to, to work, and he was forced to work for people that did not serve his God. But even in captivity, he was very faithful. And we need to learn to remain faithful even when the situation is not going our way. Just remain faithful. Faithful. It's easy to be faithful when everything's going good. 
when everything looks good, feels good, smells good, that's easy. But when things are not going our way, that's really when we need to press in and be faithful. So uh, as Daniel grew up, he was set as a governor over part of the kingdom. And as it says in Daniel 6, 3, Daniel soon proved himself to be more capable than all of the other administrators and high officers. And that's the way it should be with God's people. We should be more faithful. We should be more faithful because we know we're not just doing it for a paycheck. We're not, just, we're not doing it just to be seen. We're doing it as unto the Lord. The scripture goes on to say, because of Daniel's great ability, the king made plans to place him over the entire empire. Then the other administrators and high officers began searching for some fault in the way Daniel was handling government affairs, but they couldn't find anything. Couldn't find anything to criticize or condemn him. When we're committed to God, the enemy has nothing, nothing to accuse us of when we're truly committed and being faithful to God. So the scripture goes on to say, he was faithful. He was always responsible. He was completely trustworthy. You know, back in what I would call the old days, in the the early 1900s, you know, things that I read, you hear people talk about uh, God-fearing people, or he's a God-fearing man. And they weren't saying, oh, that guy goes to church. They weren't saying, oh, that guy just believes in God. What they were saying was, that was an honorable man. That was a trustworthy man. So the scripture finishes up here, says, so they, the, the uh, other officers looking for a way to condemn um, Daniel, so they concluded our only chance of finding grounds for accusing Daniel will be in connection with the rules of his religion. Wow, wouldn't it be nice to know that the only thing that someone could ever accuse us of is being too committed to God? So these jealous officials, they go into the king, and they start to play on his vanity, and they manipulate him some, and they trick him a bit, and they get him to set up a new law that for the next 30 days, no one can pray to anybody except the king. And they did this because they knew that Daniel would continue to pray to God. And Daniel heard about this new law. But he continued to pray. In fact, the Bible says that he went into his room and he opened the windows wide up and he prayed. So now the enemy has something to accuse Daniel of. And they go back to the king and the king recognizes that he's been manipulated, that he's been tricked. But the law has been set in motion. So Daniel is condemned to death. He has been sentenced to be thrown into a den of lions. Have you ever been doing what you were supposed to be doing and still got in trouble for it? Daniel was doing exactly what he was supposed to be doing, but he got in trouble. When I was in the first grade, my best friend broke his arm and he was not allowed to go out on the playground and run around with the rest of us. He had to sit down close to where all the teachers were, and he couldn't do anything for the, the, you know, the 30 or 40 minutes that we were outside. 
So being a good friend, I decided that I was just going to sit with him. I would sit and I would keep him company while everybody else is playing ball and playing on the jungle gym, things that we used to get to do before people decided it was all way too dangerous to go outside and play. But everybody else was playing and I sat with my friend. And as we sat there and talked, I would just pick up these little pebbles and I'd throw them up in the air. And I was just batting them away, just knocking them away, just, you know, just something to, to fill the time. And one went up and it bounced off the side of my hand and it hit my friend in the face. Now it didn't hurt him. But for some reason, he decided he needed to tell the teacher. And he went and told the teacher that I threw a rock and hit him in the face. So I got sent inside. And for the rest of the week, I didn't get to go out to recess. I mean, I was being a good friend. I was doing the right thing. And I got in trouble. You know, Daniel was faithful. He was loyal. He was committed to God. But he was still condemned to death. But guess what? It's not over yet. Daniel's name means God is my judge. It's not a cruel judge, not an unjust judge, but a righteous judge. Psalms 135.14 says, The Lord will judge his people and will have compassion on his servants. That word judge there, it literally translates to vindicate. The Lord will vindicate his people. It can also be translated, render judgment in favor of. See, sometimes when we think of the word judgment, we think of something harsh. We think of something mean. But when it comes to the Lord judging his people, he wants to vindicate us. When we've been faithful, he wants to vindicate us. He wants to judge in favor of his people. Daniel had been unjust, unjustly condemned, but God rendered judgment in his favor. God vindicated him. The next morning, the king rushed out to the lion's den and he called out, Daniel, has your God saved you? And this is what it says in Daniel 6, 22. Daniel answered, long live the king. My God sent an angel to shut the lion's mouth so they would not hurt me. For I have been found innocent. I have been vindicated. God has judged in my favor. I have been found innocent in his sight, and I have not wronged you, your majesty. If it feels like the lions are just about to pounce, but you've been faithful in doing everything that you know that the Lord wants you to do, you need to call out for the righteous judge to vindicate you because it's not over yet. Just because it feels like the lions are breathing down our neck, it's not over yet. Let's have a testimony like Daniel. Let's let it be said that the worst thing they can ever accuse us of is that we're too dedicated to our God. All right. Now, the, the last person that we want to look at this morning is Noah. Noah was at rest when he was the only one. In Genesis 6, starting in verse 5, it says, the Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on the earth, and he saw that everything they thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. 
So the Lord was sorry that he had made them and, he, and put them on the earth. It broke his heart. And he said, I will wipe out the human race I have created off the face of the earth. I will wipe out the human race I have created off the face of the earth. Wow, that's, that's really harsh, isn't it? That's really tough when the Lord is saying, I wish I had never made them. I wish I had never made them. But guess what? It's not over yet. The very next verse, verse 8, Genesis 6, 8 says, but Noah found favor with the Lord. Verse 9 goes on to say that Noah was the only righteous person on the face of the earth. It didn't say that his wife was righteous. It didn't say that his sons were righteous. It said that Noah was righteous. Your relationship with God might be the thing that saves others. Noah's wife was saved. Noah's sons were saved because of his righteousness. So we need to be righteous for our family members. Now, I'm not talking about eternal salvation right now. I'm talking about helping people get pulled out of situations. The name Noah means rest. What can we learn from Noah about rest? We can rest when, the, when we're the only one standing for God. We can rest in patience when the task takes longer than expected. You know, scholars believe it took Noah maybe up to 100 years to build the ark. Have you been praying for something for a long time? Don't stop. Have you been praying for family members? Don't stop. Remember, your righteousness, your righteous relationship with God can be the very thing that opens the doors to them being rescued. We can also rest when we don't understand. You know, some people theorize that it had never rained before the flood. Now, whether it had or not, you know, the Bible doesn't really say. There's some hints there that, that people take. But one thing we can, we can be pretty sure of, that nobody had ever built a boat of that size out in the middle of nowhere before. God sometimes asks, asks us to do things that seem overwhelming, things that don't make sense to others, and sometimes it doesn't even make sense to us. But we can rest when we know that it's what God has asked of us. I heard an evangelist tell a story one time. He was uh, going into to a, uh, a, a little gas station store right there, a little convenience store. And, you know, and he went to the back of the store. He's looking for a drink or something like that. And he just has this, this, this thought, this impression, stand on your head. Now, he did the exact same thing that we would have done going, that's, that's weird. No, you know, and he just ignored it. But the impression got even stronger, stand on your head. And he began to, to recognize that God was speaking to him. And he said, Lord, why would you ask me to stand on my head in this convenience store? And the Lord just said, do you trust me? Do you trust me? Sometimes God will ask us to do things that we don't understand and we don't know why, but we just need to trust him. And of course, this evangelist said, yes, I trust you. So he got down and he began to, to stand on his head. Now, now, thankfully, he was obviously somebody that, that could do that. 
You know, Lord would never ask me to stand on my head because, you know, I would have toppled over so fast and it would be like you see in the movies. You hit one shelf and the next shelf goes down and the next shelf goes down and the next shelf goes down. It would have been just powdered donuts and candy bars everywhere. But obviously, this guy could stand on his head. So he got down and he stood on his head. And right when he got up like that, a man came around the corner and said, God is real. God is real. God is real. So he got down and he went over to the man and he said, what's going on? And the man said, I was just having a conversation with some people about God. And I told them I would believe in God when I see a man standing on his head in this convenience store. And the evangelist got to lead this guy to the Lord because he was willing to do something that didn't make sense, something that he didn't understand. He rested in the fact that he trusted God. And here's the last thing. We can rest because the curse is broken. Genesis 8.21, God said that, that, that he would never curse the ground like this again. He would never curse the earth like this again. You may be the catalyst to break generational curses in your family. And if you don't understand what I'm talking about when I say generational curse, you know, grandfather was, uh, was an angry man, dad was an angry man, and I'm an angry man. That's a curse passed down. Some people may say that's just character traits, that's just family. But no, those are generational curses. Having a temper, that may, may seem kind of a small thing, but, but look at it over here on the other side. You know, psychologists even say that if, if your parent was an alcoholic, it's a high likelihood that you'll be an alcoholic. If your parents were abusive, it's very likely that you'll be abusive. If your parents were philanderers, it's highly likely that you'll fall into that same pattern. That's a generational curse. But you can break that curse. You can be the catalyst. You can be the catalyst of that being broken in your family. So rest, rest in knowing that the curse is broken. Psalm 62.7 says, on God my salvation and my glory, rest. The rock of my strength, my refuge is in God. Just like Noah, we can rest when we don't understand, when it seems overwhelming, when it seems like we're the only one. We can still be in a place of rest because we trust God. Anna, Daniel, and Noah. Grace, God's judgment, and rest. Grace brings the favor of God's judgment. Once again, think of God's judgment as a positive thing. When God is judging his children, it can be a positive thing. God wants to vindicate us. He wants to judge in favor of us. So grace brings the favor of God's judgment into our lives, and we can rest in knowing that that is great news. So what do I want you to know? Like Anna, God has graced us for his purposes. And like Daniel, he's judged in our favor. And like Noah, 
God has given us rest even when he asks us for big things. What do I want you to feel? I want you to feel hope that you can do and be everything that God has called you to do and be. And what do I want you to do? I want you to hear the Holy Spirit. What is he saying to you right now? Is he talking to you about grace to serve him? Is he wanting you to take a stand for him so he can judge you as faithful? Is he wanting you to rest and follow him into a place of deep obedience? There's more great news. Whatever he's saying, whatever the Holy Spirit is saying to you right now, he will empower you to do it. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for your grace, for your vindication, for your judgment in our lives, and for your rest. And Lord, right now, we choose to hear what the Holy Spirit is saying to us. We choose to do what the Holy Spirit is saying to us. Lord, we may feel like we're the only one, but Lord, we choose to do it. We may feel like we were being very faithful, yet we were still being accused. Things were still not going our way. People were still trying to work against us. But Lord, you will judge in our favor. And Lord, we may feel like we've lost so much, but your grace is there for us to continue to live this life in a powerful, God-honoring, God-serving way. And Lord, that is what we choose to do. In Jesus' name, amen.